Welcome, friends, to the Secrets from the Saddle podcast with good friend Mike Bennett of Eurosports. Now, this was recorded two years ago when I went to Mike's place, and he has a particular niche in the Ottawa area is that he does custom paint jobs on bikes. He also has his own bike brand called Prologue. This particular video is shot live, and it's on location and it's very visual. So if you want to catch this one and see the visual interview, please go to my YouTube channel, subscribe, like, comment, and share, and you can catch this one. The link is in the description of this podcast, but it's a really good one to actually watch over listening. I hope you enjoy it and please don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daewoo, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. super excited to bring you here to see and learn and meet good friend of mine Mike Bennett so Michael Bennett's been in um, in business here I'm gonna give you a little background of myself first and then I'm gonna get into Mike because both of us have a pretty we've had a love-hate relationship over our cycling years it's kind of funny but We've both been super successful and I just want to feature him here on our interview series, our cycling interview series. So, myself, who am I? I am Sylvie Daou. I'm here in Ottawa. I live in Chelsea, Quebec, Canada. And my cycling background started way back in 2000. Uh, I'm gonna just give you a little lowdown. I used to be a mountain biker. Funny enough, I used to adventure race hardcore, and so I used to train mountain biking. I used to train road cycling for mountain biking, then just completely switched. So, without giving you too much details, that's me. You're gonna learn a little bit about me every week. So here it is. Um, I'm. Uh, I used to be a uh, team captain and a team manager and a team coach, not all at the same time. Uh, for my wom- oh, my women's only cycling club here in Ottawa back uh, 2005 to 2013. Some of the best cycling racing years of my life. I learned so much and that's why I love coming back and giving back to you guys in these this cycling series. So eight years of cycling, uh, level three national cycling performance coach, personal trainer, founder and lead coach of um, one of Canada's largest women's only cycling club here, Cycle Fit Chicks. Really, really proud of that. And uh, coached over 700 women in our club. I'm a race organizer, race commissioner. I've done bike fix. I have also 
uh, jumped into the realm of bodybuilding and been on the IFBB national stage for figure and bikini. So I've uh, gone that route as well. I'm a mom of three and I absolutely love, love, love giving back to the world of cycling. So, and it's partially my passion and my business. So this is why I started doing this and I'm going to switch over and I'm going to pan it's pretty nice and bright out here in Ottawa today and just show you where the bike shop is. Hold on here guys. All right, so 13 Bowman. Pretty nice. We'll just sort of pan over here. And here you go. Mike, I'm going to give you a bit of a background on Mike, but you know what? Honestly, it's going to be super interesting from him because he is super funny. And uh, like I said, we have a colorful relationship, a love-hate. I This jersey, we used to race. You can see on our, on our sleeve for Eurosport or in conjunction with Eurosport. One of the best years, uh, year is so so much fun collaborating with other cyclists and um, and coaching and um, race teams that we got to see that. I'll tell you a little story. See that van over there? We brought it to uh, Charlevoix, so that's in the uh, Bay Saint Paul region in Quebec, and literally, you should see the hills there. Like they're just crazy. The the brakes on that thing were smoking. I'm telling you, I'm not even kidding. I'm surprised it still run, ran after that year that we went cycling together. We start to drive that all over the place with the team. <laughs> Anyways, so Mike Bennett, Eurosports, he's had this shop since uh, 2004. So he opened it in 2004. He grew up in a family ski shop. So his parents started a ski shop in uh, Huntsville. That's where he got a lot of his shop experience. And he moved to Ottawa and worked at Pecos starting in 2000. Started Eurosports in 2004. Started designing frames back when he was 16 and 92. And uh, that's what led him to this business. I'm so excited in, to bring this to you because Mike, I find, is a real pioneer of this business because he started from the ground up. Um, he's going to tell you all about his hardships and how he got into starting a bike shop on his own, um, designing his own frames that tons of people ride on around here, and also getting into something very special. We'll bring that to you later. So let's go see Mike. He promised me he's going to clean his shop. All right, everybody, let's come in here. So. I'm just going to give you a little pan of this uh, area. You know, a bike shop doesn't need to have a whole lot of stuff in here. All it needs is the essentials. Bikes, maybe some saddles, some shoes, bike wheels, very important. Some minor accessories and some little essentials. And there you go his fleet of bikes that are currently for sale. All right, everybody, are you ready to meet Mike? Here we go. Hi, Mike. <laughs> I have seen this guy behind this desk like for the last 10 years. I've, I've known Mike since we started. Uh, 
I'm telling you, this is going to be fun here. So I've known Mike, and I met him when he was at Pecos in 2000 when I was adventure racing. And my first mountain bike came from that shop, which was, I really loved it. And uh, so that's where I came to know Mike. So we've known each other for a long time. I was saying that we have a colorful love-hate relationship yes. over the years. Which mm -hmm. is usually how good business relationships. <laughs> but we've come back and actually liked each other after hating each other and then liking each other. So we're going to talk about Mike and I'm going to have him tell you about how he got started. Hold on, Mike. How did tell us about... Do you want to go into the... Well, we'll start here. We'll okay. stay here and uh, then we'll move downstairs. All right. Um, well, it's a pretty long story and you probably don't have that kind of time. So I basically, in a nutshell, started my first uh, job in a bike shop when I was, well, 13 under the table, 14 officially, and um, stayed there for about three years, really pushed the order to, to build a race team, things because I thought that's all that mattered in, in cycling, which now is clearly not the case. Um, and the owner of that shop, which was a family from Holland that had moved over, um, in the town of Huntsville, they owned the original Muskoka Bicycle, which is now owned by actually another Dutch fellow who bought it from the owner that I worked for. So I learned a lot from him, uh, how to fix almost everything with a, a wrench and a screwdriver, <laughs> and we gradually <laughs> got him to purchase better tools all the time. It's, uh, of course, as the technology changed, that made a big difference, but I got my start there. Um, he had some old frame building equipment in the basement he let, let me muck around with and things like that. And that's how I got kind of interested into frame building. Um, I think too, at that point, uh, you know, we were selling four different brands and the big shift came where everything suddenly became, you know, we had two brands which were Canadian, one was American, and then they all were suddenly Taiwanese. Uh, but the prices didn't drop. So I kind of became a little bit disenchanted with the, that direction. I was thinking, well, why don't I just make my own if I'm going to pay the same price to have a company have it made offshore, you know, and that it just kind of went from there. So a lot of the frame building came from experience of not just riding and racing, but then, you know, seeing what broke on other brands and, you know, what broke under my own. I didn't make a, an official prologue bike till 1994, which was actually after I left Huntsville to move to Ottawa. So that's kind of where that got started. So tell us about how you got to starting your own bike shop. Like, um, how did that came? Because it started yeah. here. Yeah. In, yeah. The, in the location we're in now, is the, um, it's a, this is sort of the second go around. So I did <laughs> have one um, briefly uh, because I started building frames in 94. In 95, I had a, a very small uh, commercial setup on St. Patrick Street in the market in Ottawa. Um, and basically from there, uh, you know, maybe selling like 10 custom bikes a year. So it wasn't exactly, you know, rolling in dope. Didn't have a car or anything like that. It basically sold enough bikes to keep racing. That's pretty much what the idea was. So um, that's kind of... Uh, <laughs> That's kind of where that got started. Um, by 97, um, I decided that uh, I wanted to see if I could make a career out of racing, which was a really bad idea because I didn't have the talent, but uh, I went over to France. Um, actually, in 98, after my parents decided to open up a shop, and I thought, okay, I'll move everything there, I'll set everything up in Huntsville, help them for the winter, train my ass off, go to France, see what happens. Well, I got clocked. Uh, but the good thing was, is they kept me in the club because I was good at repairing all the broken frames because we had a 
pretty lousy bike sponsor back then, um, in terms of <laughs> frame failures and whatnot. Uh, so I learned a lot while whilst over there, and then uh, came back and basically with my parents' ski store, um, sold a few bikes over over the summer. But I, I really miss living in Ottawa. I mean, as far as uh, a place where there's you know excellent cycling, a, a decent size um, racing community. I mean, you could even in the '90s you could race four days a week in town between time trials, criteriums, and then you know kind of weekend warrior sort of stuff. And uh, so, you know, I came back here and I remember I was commuting home every weekend all winter to help them with the ski shop and that, that was a lot of burnout. So eventually it was like when my parents were just, they were done with the store and I thought, okay, you know, why not just open up in Ottawa? And I started from a house um, in a basement and uh, just kind of went from there. Um, met uh, a man who, uh, actually a family, um, one of which the the child went, well he's not a child anymore, uh, so the young guy uh, was a cadet when we met him and um, now he's the current national champion so that family uh, bought a building which allowed me to kind of move in and get rolling, uh, which is the building we're currently in today, uh, under different ownership now but um, <laughs> at the time it was, it was a good uh, jump start, it was a hell of a lot of work, we had to come in and like gut the whole building so I was learning about construction while doing it <laughs> and trying to get the shop ready and everything else so it just made more sense if you're going to try and create a bike brand you need some place to showcase it so mm -hmm. that's uh, that's how we ended up here at 13 Bullman so yeah I remember those days and that guy remember I was telling you guys about how we used to take that van to to bike races well that <laughs> that, that guy was <laughs> one of the group that, that was with us we used to all drive together to races and so that was it was super fun and uh mike i would say is like a pioneer like i said just getting a lot of people started because he was actually uh when we liked each other um was a star <laughs> and i say that with all lots of love um, he started my bike club out, uh, my bike team out in 2005 uh, with a little bit of sponsorship and with bike. I used to ride a prologue. I liked it. Then I had to give it back. Somebody else started riding it. But anyways. <laughs> that's how it works though. I know that's how it works. But so now you started in this, this location where, because you said you come back. So. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like moving into um, you know those key hardships over the ten years. Uh, well, I'm going to say ten years because I've known you almost twenty, but um, and I know you bike. So where did you go from it? You you've been somewhere. You came back. Like where are the things that you've really had hard time with? Uh, I think a lot of it was just kind of getting started. I mean, I spent you know a year. In England, I spent a year in Australia, and, and always kind of thinking, well, maybe I'll just drift away from the bike industry, but I always ended up either working in a shop or working for a company or doing design work. Uh, when I came back to Ottawa in 2003, four, sorry, um, it it was just like, okay, I'm 29, I can't fart around anymore, I have to buckle down and do something. The 30s. Yeah, do that and too. I still raced, not, uh, and even managed to get an elite license, God knows how. Um, I think they give those out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can buy your um, I didn't do much with it other than, you know, participate and get shot at the back. But, um, you know, I was, the field I was useful for driving 
and the cycles around that were much better than I was, so, uh, so that was fine. But uh, I think it was just um, one of those things where I had to take a chance, and uh, you know, being 29, I uh, thought, well, why not give it a go? Um, interestingly enough, the cycling club came before the store, so Ooh. by the time the store actually okay. opened, we already had a pretty solid customer base. So oh. the first year was that helps pretty difficult. We started with I think twelve people, and by the end of the year, we were down to six. And then the next year, it was sixty. And I didn't, I don't know what happened. It was just, yeah. I think uh, growth of the sport in general. I mean, this is. Dare we say this is the Lance era? So everybody, mm -hmm. my grandmother thought cycling was cool. It's true. It did yeah. grow at that mm -hmm. at some point where a lot of people were racing, not but getting on bikes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah no, there was a big, big transformation there, and mm -hmm. you can see. Uh, I mean, when I moved here in '94, there was effectively two kind of club teams, and then the, you know the Auto Bike Club and the, the mm -hmm. West Quebec Wheelers. So now. I don't know what, there's like seven shops that have their own club slash teams, plus there's still the OBC, plus there's a lot of like, I would say, <laughs> lack of better term, non-denominational non clubs like 9to5 Pro or Techne, where yeah. they're not really affiliated with a particular store, but you know, those are big clubs as well, so, mm -hmm. and again, all of them contribute in their own way to increasing, you know, the, the uh, exposure of this sport, not even just from the competitive side, but just in general, like people getting back and forth to work, I mean, like, you know, the cycle fit chicks is... Yeah has been amazing watching women go from, you know, the couch to a hybrid, hybrid to a road bike, mm. road bike to potentially competitive racing. Yeah. Uh, what we're seeing now in the last four or five years is a big drift away from racing. For once, the technology in the bikes is actually being driven by people that want to ride um, long distances and do more, like, Fondo-type things. Mm. So racing has become kind of, it's, it's not something really, you know, you invest on Sunday, race on Sunday, sell it on Monday, that, that's kind of died off. Uh, so, but we're still seeing growth in participation in, in the sport as an activity. Yeah, you know, so. like cycling races around here, I think uh, you could probably attest to, and like not just in Ottawa, but in like Montreal, it, they're almost like running races, right? Like there's one every weekend that you could do like a, a weekend long or a day 250 or a century or something. <laughs> And it's really come a long way, and it's it's sad, but it's almost kind of replaced racing, I think, uh, yeah. to some extent. Well, the, the community in itself, to a certain extent, has a bit to blame because there's a lot of elitism and snobbery within the racing community. Um, and it's kind of, you know, reminds me of high school a bit, but uh, at the same Maybe. time, I'm not saying everybody should come together and sing Kumbaya or whatever, but the, it's it's not the most inviting community I've ever seen. And and one of the things is that, you know, the same guys uh, that I was racing with in 1994 when I came back here to stay permanently in 2004, it was still the same gang. There were some new people for sure. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to take somebody who just got their first road bike, you know, did a bit of training and then throw them in a criterion at 50k an hour and expect them to go through a corner smoothly. Like, these are things yeah, that require a bit of transition. So, um, so from that standpoint, it's, uh, you're starting to see participation in races slip, but then on the other end, you're seeing sports like cyclocross grow and grow because it's much yeah. more family oriented. It's a, you know, weird this kind is of true. Safer. Unfortunately, I don't have time to do that, but yeah. <laughs> you have to have time to do these things. Like, you can't be a road racer, it's in the fall. complete cyclist, uh, and then do, like, a fall thing, and then you get into fat biking. But you made a couple moves in your shop. Tell us about the move. 
<laughs> a couple things about what you've learned about moving. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we got into Bowling, the, the original plan was, you know, um, stay in for five years, and then, you know, if things were going well, we could have made an offer to potentially partner in the building or, or whatever. Um, just the nature of the housing market, um, a condo developer came along and basically bought the entire block. And it's not like you're going to say to the owner of the building, hey, listen, can you turn down that rather large profit so I can sit here on my shop? Like, I, the thought of that was was absurd. Very selfish. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you're thinking about, um, you know, we, we were on the upswing for about five years straight where we were increasing, you know, 15 to 20 percent per year, which is normal for a new business. Mm -hmm. uh, so we thought, okay, well, maybe... The timing's good. We'll expand. Um, the, the original owner, uh, Carlo Dalson and Lynn Dalson, they were nice enough to negotiate um, part of the lease for us to stay for a year for free, which helped us finance the move. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we got to the new place, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Here, you're talking about. Not this one, no. Oh, city, yeah. City center. Because he moved to, like, see this place? He moved to a place that was like a hundred times bigger. Yeah. And we're like, bigger is not bad. This is massive. Like, we can have. Yeah. Like, after our parties in this joint, mm -hmm. like... Which probably would have been more profitable, I think. So. <laughs> we suggested, mm -hmm. but it's like... Yeah. So that, that was interesting. When, during the move, our internet went down. Rogers and Bell, over the space of a month, couldn't get us reconnected. We didn't have a phone for the better part of a month. That allowed all the wonderful rumors to get started about us going out of business, or we had gone out of business, mm. and, and of course, you know, the bike, rumors. you know, bike stores in here can be quite competitive. Well, most of them tend to, you know, we tend to get along with most of them. Um, there is a little bit of that wow. hashing going around, uh, so that didn't help. Um, but I think the biggest thing was we just bit off more than we could chew. You know, it, it, there was a combination of going bigger. Um, the dollar collapsed, which was terrible for the bike. I industry. remember that. So you know, your, your average bike price went up thirty percent in one year, which scared yeah. a lot of people off. Yeah. Um, our expenses quintupled uh, with the new place, um, mm -hmm. and then there was all these little add-ons every time. You know, every six months we were getting a bill from the new landlord for this product, this repair, that repair. There's nothing to do our it's unit. Was nothing that we could really control. Mm -hmm. uh, so after kind of a secondary How long were you there? four years. Yeah. Four years, yeah. It so, was pretty stressful. Yeah. It's, uh, it literally got to the point where uh, we were borderline non-functional. We could fix things, you know. We could we could still sell some bikes, but we were, you know, all the money was going back to the landlord, and then you know we were trying to pay off suppliers. Yeah. Uh, if you're not paying suppliers, you're not getting exactly. supplies. So, and yeah. the drawback is is the people that you know you you really rely on, which are your you know, your, your core clientele yeah. and a lot of them were like, oh, well, if he's having a hard time, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And you're mm. thinking, well, that's not the way I think, but it's the ones who are happened. loyal, like me. <laughs> <laughs> we became friends again. Yes. So, I mean, this is something that we went through and, uh, pretty much what it came down to was looking at it from a long term and getting the costs under control. So, mm -hmm. uh, we managed to get out of one unit into another unit, which was smaller, easier to manage, <coughs> got mm -hmm. the cost under control, and then we opened a this second store. This is smart management, seat. guys. So, Are you listening to this? Yeah, this is managing how to, this is how to get yourself your out of a quarter debt. So, <laughs> in a bike shop, mm, so which isn't easy. Let's talk. Look, so let's segue debt mm. to additional services in a bike shop. So, Mike, let's go downstairs. So, okay. the funny thing is that I I run sixteen. 
recycling program through the winter and it's on bikes um, now it's on like spin bikes that have um, power on them so thankful to the industry that they brought those on because we used to rent space and you'll see it soon in um, in and back from here for my group and then thus Mike started doing his own core programs downstairs so we're gonna go down and uh, take a look at that and he's gonna talk a little bit about you know as a bike shop you need extra stuff and what are those extra stuff that you add to pay you know make you know a couple thousand dollars in the winter when it's low season here in Canada Eastern Canada maybe not in the West but uh, we need to add extras. So let's go downstairs. Uh, it is messy because it's the off season. Uh, and, uh, messy. Well, we're just so busy with other stuff. <laughs> Cleaning a basement wasn't a big priority. <laughs> okay, guys, close your eyes. Yeah. Well, oh my know, gosh, it's horrible. Normally there's some frames down here, but this is where I thought the interview was going to be. Hey, so. this is cleaner than my basement. So what are you talking about? Okay. Um, so pretty much one of the things that we actually originally developed in this shop um, when we when we first opened was the the tax training center. So um, over the years, they've gone through many iterations of their own system. But it was one of the first ones that we could the person could come in, bring their own bike, put it on a trainer, have all the power readings, um, have the resistance adjusted based on those power readings, and have a coach that sort of design them and, and go through everything. At, at the time, it was. Uh, uh, he's actually one of the highest ranked coaches in Ottawa, which is Jim Glover. So, mm -hmm. um, and he was the one that designed the original program. We've modified it since, along with him, uh, over the years. So, obviously. <laughs> so, I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I do have my level two coaching. Sylvie's got a level three, so she's way up on me. Uh, and I don't have time to coach anyone. I, yeah. I'm, I'm more old school. Like, go out and just ride. I like to think he got this idea from me having my program in his, <laughs> in his garage. Yeah. When people actually had their own bikes on trainers, like yeah. plain trainers. Yes and, and uh, no. This was originally kind of cool. It was sort but of That's what we did for a couple of seasons. Yeah. So, <laughs> But he's got like power and that's the difference, mm -hmm. right? If you want to train seriously, um, power is the way to go. And it's developed a lot over the years. I mean, initially we're still using a, a trainer road style program, which is provided through tax, although we're modifying that uh, this year. Um, they're Zwift compatible. You can ride videos in France, and Italy, Spain, whatever. So when we first started initially, you know, people would just kind of come in and use it. And that, although that was kind of fine, there was no consistency with it. And um, I remember when, when you had gone back to spinning, we are like, okay, well, we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And I think the first, like, five years we had complete sell-through. Yeah. Um, and actually, oddly enough, last year we had complete sell-through, which was really weird after a couple of years where, it, you know, there's a couple of nights where you have three or four or five spaces available. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been pretty consistent. But, I mean, at the same time, we, we sort of realized with the onset of, of Zwift and Trainer Road, people do tend to kind of, not that they want to stay home, but they, they tend to have that option now because there's so many smart trainers available. So, yeah. Um, but I expect this year, same thing, we, we might have an 80% sell-through. But our Nordic business has just taken off in the last three years. And so that oh, keeps wow, us busy good. as well. So, yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, I've had a background in Nordic skiing since I was 13 years of age. So it's not, I'm not putting skis on the wall to, you know, to, to pay for lunch kind of thing. Like we're actual, everybody that works here actually skis, which is more than I can say for some shops. But um, Keep it clean, Mike. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> 
I, I consider in the, in the Nordic business there are like, to me, there's three really good shops in town. You've got Fresh Air, which has been around forever. Um, Cycery has some good staff and great Christie's. If I'm forgetting anybody, I'm sorry. But those are the ones that we consider our competition. Maybe they think the same. We'll see. But, um, you know, we're all doing something a little bit different and a uh, different approach to everything. We carry different brands. I mean, the ski industry is a lot like the bike industry where it's, yeah. as long as they fit, they're going to be fast. That's all that really matters. Yeah. So. And you, you touched on an interesting thing about Swift. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because um, I actually had a conversation with Hunter Allen, if you know who he is. Yes, I do. Yeah. So he was the designer of Training Peaks. So mm -hmm. if you've ever... Uh, you know, trained with a coach, you, you might have, he might have been using that for your training. And uh, he's taken that, he sold it, mm -hmm. and now he's uh, joined up with Swift, and they've designed this. So I was like, you know, Hunter, um, this is my first conversation <laughs> with him because we we're talking about something else, but I'm like, you're almost like kind of killing the race, the race scene because um, they have these exclusive races indoors mm -hmm. in your basement. So yeah. a lot of people are staying in. They don't want to ride with the Peloton. They don't want the, that stress, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so if you can uh, connect with Swift, mm -hmm. then, you know, success is going to be here because... Mm -hmm. But who really wants to sit in their basement when it's 28 degrees and sunny? Oh, out? no, I'm not talking... I know there like, are some now, that have. Like, I've done the 930 at night. Well, I've got to do But, like, the winter, right? Like In the winter, yeah, it's fine. Here, the winter. And, and I, uh, I would much rather ski than be on a trainer, but there's mm -hmm. a pile of people out there that don't ski, which yeah. should. But I think everyone should I'm ski. probably one of them. <laughs> but it's but one I downhill those... ski, so that counts. No, it doesn't. You sure do, it does. No, you got to <laughs> ski up the hill. Um, but it is it is something that uh, I, I know a lot of people that have time constraints that are using mm -hmm. it um, on a pretty regular basis, uh, yeah. even on like a day like that. I know there's someone coming in today to use the trainer. Basically, it's his last like tune-up ride before... Um, with the the half in uh, Tremblant kind of oh, thing, but okay. I mean he's you know yeah. he's uh, he's uh, lives out in Russell. He's got a full time job. He's got a newborn. So you know I get it. Like if you can find an you hour, fit it in. You get on the trainer, get your workout. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people I know that have erratic hours. You know maybe they can't get out of work at four. I I never finish before seven. So this time of year it's great. I can get an hour and a half outside, or I get up really early and go. Mm -hmm. But there are times when you know. I still have a bike on a trainer if I'm stuck. Oh. Sort of thing. So oh, that is yeah. the very first prologue, by the way. It's been oh, okay, we'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, so, so all right, let's just segue right mm -hmm. into the bike design. And what does it take to, like, get um, your brand out there? Because it's, it's about branding. And uh, Mike's come a long way. And there are a lot of people in this area who ride prologues, you know, whether they're time trial bikes uh, road bikes, cyclocross. You have prologue cyclocross. Cross, gravel, mountain, track, touring. Touring. There there, you go. There's a lot of subcategories now. Yeah, uh, so we, he's we've gone a lot. from three models was the first inception to we're up to 23. Okay. I think that's enough. And we where don't do you anymore. get them designed and built? Well, the design work's all done here. So yes. we actually have um, two industrial designers that work for us now. So mm -hmm. David Blinky and uh, mm -hmm. Kenneth Bluen, um, both guys that have. With Belinky, sorry, David Belinky, excuse me, has you know a wealth of, of knowledge and experience on yeah. bikes. So when you're taking someone from that background and putting them in charge of different design work, I mean, this is mm -hmm. stuff that I've done on my own. They just clarify mm -hmm. things. Yeah. But it's nice having a different perspective, especially somebody with a formalized education. Uh, my design work was basically teaching myself how to use AutoCAD 
and then going from there. As before, I built frames. Right. When I had to become a designer, when everything went aluminum and then titanium, yeah, carbon yeah, fiber. Like, does this work? Yeah. Is it uh, I, The short story on that one is I got really lucky. There was a kid that I went to high school with uh, from Taiwan that was in Huntsville on an exchange program. And he now heads up a prototype factory in Taipei. Best Taichung friends. City. Yeah. So I happened to go to uh, Taipei one year to a big trade show, kind of curious as to, you know, how do I continue uh, if I can't make like one frame a week by myself? And I happened to run into him, and, you know, everything just kind of reconnected. And he says, well, we used to do military work, and he was always a big cyclist. So uh, they were working with carbon fiber, and mm -hmm. his cousin was literally working with titanium across the road. Um, so their background wasn't a lot. Like, they, they knew how to build the product. They just didn't know how to design to make it work. So, I mean, this is the thing when you have engineers getting into something and they're like look at this amazing thing we've created but it's not rideable uh, so <laughs> nice, which is but... so you kind of need the combination of the yeah. two and i mean there there are companies that brag about you know oh we're the first company that's only has ever used engineering and you're kind of like really you know, okay you're saying that nobody's ever engineered a bike before this yeah. particular company in 1996 so see these so. these uh people you meet in your life <clears throat> are really important networking mm -hmm. and keeping in touch so let's look at that bike yeah so this was the okay, I'm gonna flip the this first around one that, um, this this one's been through a lot uh, it's on its okay that job. that wheel doesn't look no new. this is not from <laughs> no it's just holding up the front end um, and it, right now it's a trainer bike until I build some fancier wheels for it but I did actually ride this bike all last year uh, having not been on it since it's uh, very cool yeah since 2000 and, or no god uh, I would say, well, it was last raced in 98, uh, in France, um, where it actually, I broke the back stays on the cobblestones in the crash. Uh, so that's been re-welded and, and so on and so forth. But I did want to refurbish it. Uh, oddly enough, I ended up selling it to my, uh, my roommate in Ottawa. I forget what year that would have been. And when I moved back in 2003, he had posted it on tri -Rudy and I, I basically, I'm like, don't move. I'm coming over with cash. And I bought it back and it sat around forever. Uh, I yeah, really but that was your first bike. And then finally, about two, two or three years ago, I finally refurbished it, and then you know put the the groups that, that I couldn't afford when I was racing on, and uh, you know just I always wanted a gold, golden white bike. Um, I mean, it's it's a little bling bling, but whatever. hey, so. everybody's into bling bling. I'm into mm -hmm. bling bling. Unfortunately, my current bike isn't so bling bling. These are cause... not the pedals I train on, by the way. We're <laughs> just oh, I was letting whatever. someone try Zwift one day. So. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some of the frames. So mm -hmm. going right into frame design, we'll do it quickly. Yeah. And then I want to talk about what you're offering, mm -hmm. like with regards to services, not services, but your specialty now that you've kind of started. Yeah. And I guess you, I guess we see a little bit of it here now. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, I mean, these are just a couple of models that we do in different materials. Yeah. So this is steel, which actually all our steel bikes, although we do the design work, um, they're actually manufactured in San Francisco. And oh. the titaniums are done in Taiwan. So the titaniums are 100% made to measure, meaning that whatever the client wants, uh, we can do. Um, this is just a, a basic, uh, not basic, but sort of a standard geometry road bike with, you know, more of a horizontal top to it. I wanted to have a classic look. Okay, I have a question. Sure. Everybody's going to want to know. How much does it jargon. cost? Oh, God. To make, to have my, so if I wanted a bike mm -hmm. to race or like just as a road bike, but okay more high-end mm -hmm. like racing uh, how much would it cost to have it like designed for me mm -hmm. i think um 
It's a touchy subject because, I mean, if I just throw out a number, there's going to be I'm a whole friend, remember, I get the anything. special deal. Yeah, no, just kidding. So let's, let's just say, for example, I would never spend $3,000 on golf clubs, but there are people that will. Um, our custom bikes uh, start about $2,800 for an entire bike. So that wouldn't that's be... That's with wheels? That's a no. whole bike. No oh, pedals, okay. obviously. And that includes, um, you know... Your group everything's, set? Your, everything. Uh, so the bar do is I the right width. Do I get to pick my own group set? Yes, you do. Well, within the price point. <laughs> oh. So that's where they started. And the price fluctuates for, you know, let's say, for example, this frame, which we would sell, um, frame fork headset and Sipo sells for uh, $12.50, I believe. Um, you can have whatever group set you want from a Shimano, Campy, or SRAM, and then that adjusts the price. You can also... He deals with Campy. You can also, I like him. <laughs> you can also change the wheels to upgrade to whatever you want. Uh, we do have our own carbon component company uh, and titanium, which is which is where Rue comes from. Oh. Uh, ironically, is actually the town where my ex-girlfriend lives, but... I mean, Convenient. at least she left me with something. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a good name, and, and why not? You know, give this town to four hundred people. Some is credit. that what it's called? Yeah, Ruth? it's actually pronounced Rue. Rue. Um, a lot. So that's in France. It's in France. So oh, a lot of the names oh, of, the, of the models have something to do it, with. They either have a local flavor, or there's something to do with me personally. So Fonzasso is actually a, a town in the Belluno region of Italy, where I briefly worked for a company called Sportful, which owns Castelli. More people know that brand. Mm -hmm. um, I had a like a small, kind of a stagiaire position there, where I was basically trying to sell their clothing into the UK because they needed an English speaker. Yeah. Um, although my Italian is <laughs> pretty much non-existent, but it's an American that actually runs the the entire thing of the national sales manager. Uh, Aspidin is actually um, a hamlet just outside of Huntsville, where we used to ride a lot when we were juniors. And it's probably cool. was one of the bumpiest roads you could find. So hence we figured, well, that would be a good like worse name for than us. A river road. It, imagine Tache Boulevard, but eighty kilometers long. Oh god! Yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. Uh, so you know, steel frame, big tires. You know, I mean, these are these are both road models. We also do uh, carbon fiber as well. The only we'll thing go we upstairs and look some yeah, of those. the only thing we do in aluminum anymore is track bikes, and we literally oh, have right. one model. Uh, and obviously. There's no velodrome here, yeah. so not a huge seller. Although, you know, we'll ship one or two to Toronto every mm -hmm. year or to Milton. But you know what? Bromont is going to have an indoor one, so we will have oh, something. Uh, well, that's in the works for the summer. Oh, okay. Great. I think, well, I believe. That's good to hear. Yeah. I, I know there's a project for one year, but it's, I mean, that's that's a uh, massive undertaking. So I we'll saw go a really Bromont. good design years and years and years ago, mm -hmm. actually from Carlo Dalson. It's just. Unfortunately, it was one of those things where, to me, made the most sense. But it was just, you know, where do you find the land? Where do you yeah, get the yeah, investors? Yeah, it's, a big it's no matter what you do, it's yeah. it's a, it's a difficult task. So yeah. All right, let's go upstairs and just take a quick peek at some of the other models that we have, or that Mike has, and then we're gonna take a a look at the. Hi. <laughs> no, you're not filming you. Sorry. Yet. So now we are. <laughs> so this is. I mean, we have. There's nothing really set in stone as to how this works, but I mean, this is kind of if we had a mountain bike section, so same thing. We do steel, carbon, titanium. Uh, these are all 27.5 plus. 
So it's one mountain bike you can put three three sizes of wheels on. Use it as a Ooh. mountain bike in the winter, as a trail bike, or as a cross-country racer, depending on whether you want to run 29er wheels, 27.5, or 26. Cool. Um, so all three of those are engineered for that. So they those fairly popular these days, with uh, everybody so, kind of flipping yeah. around different... Uh... Well, the road market's really slowed down. Um, a lot of people that came in this year looking for road bikes ended up buying gravel bikes, which... Yeah, I heard not that. Not that we roped them into it, we're just asking them, you know, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm... I'm riding for fun, I'm riding with my friends, and I want bigger tires. It's like, well, here we have this gravel bike that's as light as a road bike, mm -hmm. but you can put tires that wide on it and be comfortable. So Okay, what's a gravel bike? Like one of these would be a gravel bike? No, these are all mountains. So gravel, okay. for example, um, I don't have one on the floor because it keeps selling. I can show you a frame. So, I mean, this is a road one, which again, with discs now, you can run 28 tires, and you can run bigger if you want. Okay, uh, so that's an idea of a gravel bike. This is road. Oh, that's right, yes. But you could, yeah, so like a Van Dessel, which is another small brand that we do carry, that's what they would consider a gravel bike. In uh, ours, okay. we have um, all three models here. Uh, so we do a carbon fiber one. So it's basically the clearance. Be yeah, like it's clearance the... and geometry changes. They're a little more slack because you go bombing down a gravel road at 45k an hour, you don't really want the steering to be moving around. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, this frame in itself... Um, it's actually just shy of a thousand grams, which is about the weight that you would see on a race bike. Oh, so, okay. but again, I mean, with the tire clearance for up to forty-two tires, so there's a lot of space. Um, we also have another model in titanium. So this is called a Britannia, which is named after Britannia Park. Um, yep. <laughs> ironically, was because it was a cyclocross park, and now we're not allowed in there anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. So sad. Do? Yeah. Um, this was one a good here is course. the Galbraith, which is actually a road just outside Almont where um, the Almont Perry Bay goes by. Oh, okay. And it's also actually a mountain range in Scotland, so that kind of works out. Um, we also do, this is probably the hardest one to pronounce. It's called Valangujar. 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 They're all prologue. That's the model name. And so that name actually is just outside of a place when I lived in France where I was constantly getting flats and thinking this would be an ideal spot to have a bike with bigger tires. So, <laughs> Hence, and then we even have a that's what we're gonna do. Which is in Newcastle, which is the same idea. It's like a road bike, but you can put bigger tires on. But the geometry is more racy, so it's like something that wants to like everything. They're looking for this one, and I called it the Newcastle because it's my favorite soccer team. So since uh, birth, all right, pretty much. So, Are you watching soccer? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, let's not get into that. Okay, but I mean, but, you know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, there's always it's a loaded over. question. Yeah, well, and we're not talking about soccer right now. Newcastle fans like being So the other things that we also do. Oh yeah, the wheels. So I have two sets of his wheels. So we started these in 2007. Um, initially, the the first sets were really big and clunky, and but they were bulletproof. Do I have a pair of those? Uh, the ones with the power tab. <laughs> yeah. You have, uh, you have ones with the nice ones, too. Uh, but they've evolved over the years. I mean, they've all gotten wider now to accommodate wider tires. They've gotten lighter. Um, you know, they've gotten a little bit stiffer. Uh, now you have disc brake-specific ones, like this one here. So, um, the braking tracks have improved now so that they don't melt anymore, which was a problem that every carbon company had at some point. Yeah, so... Uh, but the nice part with the, um more and more people buying disc uh, brakes for road bikes is that you have a, a large clientele that will buy a very high-end bike, they'll want a high-end set of wheels, and then they'll go to and France and bomb down Alf Duez and wonder why you. everything matches. Oh yeah, we can do that too. Everything is a matchy-matchy. Yeah. It's one of the advantages of having your own vinyl cutter plus paint room. And oh yeah, vinyl so, cutter. Yeah. 
that's another thing. He does his own stuff. Like, Great. Yeah. Reconnect. Okay, here we go. It may cut out in the paint room, I should warn you. Okay, well, we'll see. Maybe we'll see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is um, actually uh, Mike's, um, what he specializes in, or what he started going into, is um, design, uh, paint jobs. Yeah, this on, started uh, in 08. Just a second, I don't know yeah. if you have any cool paint jobs in here. Uh, because he had one that looked like a zebra, not a zebra, oh, a giraffe. Yeah, he doesn't have any like funky ones. Just the one in there. Okay, hold on. I just want to show you. So you can come in with your own design. Oh, this is the one. Hey, how you doing? I know, I know. I got jewelry on. But it's different. This is Drew. He's a local legend. I know. Just a second. This is Drew. He oh, does a lot of amazing uh, paints. Yeah, like there, there's a difference between using paints by the actual artist. Yeah, is that the one yours right on behind no. the... No, that one's good. <laughs> what do you mean that one's good? Anyways, this is a paint job as an idea. I don't know whose this is. Or it's, just... Uh, it's just for stock. I painted it yellow and I thought it would look better orange, so I just taped off part of it. <laughs> Sometimes so we're going to go and see how much we can see in the paint shop, yeah. just if our Wi-Fi cooks out, okay. and then we won't go in there too much, and we'll just finish it up. Say hi, Drew. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Alright, so... Yeah, yeah. So remember, we said that... Um, I used to run... Not on that side. <laughs> not on this side. But I used to uh, do bike clinic, bike um, training in here. And this was my room. It did not look like this. And that's where I had bikes on trainers. And it still looks okay. This is going to be a complete um, okay. redo after Cross is over. So uh, I've already laid out a design for it just to make it a little So there's awesome. all the vinyl. Yeah. There's a bunch of frames that are partially done, ones to do, uh, ones that, the, everything that you see on the wall here is, is, is in the works. Sold. Yeah, so it's, uh, thankfully a lot of them aren't due for a month, so I've oh, there's been a vinyl machine. riding. Yeah, so, so what, what happens is when we're doing a bike, like, so for example, you know, this is, if we're putting a blue logo on, nothing, nothing is actually stuck on, it's all paint, so we would put this on over, say, a blotch of pink, Spray over it in green or whatever, peel it off, and then you would have this nice. Do you have finish. any funky like um, drawings from people like uh, that you have like um, right now? That's kind of in the works because this is it. You can bring your own picture if you want something oh, well. like like a pink bike with camo or uh, flowers. I've seen people with um, sunflowers. Yeah, we've had I mean, had some pretty black cool and white. The guy that wanted the South African flag on his on his time trial okay. bike, which we were able to do. So uh, it's actually still in the shop. If okay, so kind that's of kind of a a, yeah. a rough drawing. Yeah. So like you can bring anything in and have it painted on his prologue bike, right? Mm -hmm. You can't bring your bike in and have no, it. No, we do a little bit of restoration work in the winter, but I basically. Uh, kind of keep it to you know yeah, older stock brand. Italian brands like well, well we're redoing a Collego right now and okay. we're redoing a Pinarello okay. but these are like classic like steel ones yeah but I yeah. don't I don't like if someone comes in here with like a like a if I brought my specialized in you probably wouldn't no 
It's not a snobbery thing. It's just we just don't have the time. We're so busy Can with our own. Can you just eat white over like all the, the the scrapes and everything? <laughs> you know, we've we've had a never lot of buy a white now. bike. Actually, yeah. I got it as a demo bike, mm-hmm. and it was just so awesome that I had to buy it, mm-hmm. and it was white. I guess the biggest thing with touch-ups is people don't realize how much work there is. So, mm-hmm. and then they get insulted when you tell them how expensive it is. And then mm-hmm. anyway, it's one of those things where it's not a rattle can. You can just spray it on. I mean, you just have to sand out every little scratch down to the frame, oh. reapply the base coats, mm-hmm. reapply the through. I was one of those people. What do you mean? You can't just like yeah, we've buff we've had a few, like... and, and we you know we're trying to be nice about it. Oh, some people get really irate and oh, you're a rip-off artist. It's like, well, I would like you to try it. And, so at some point we'll make a video of the process so people understand how much it goes through but as an example like a a carbon frame we'll take this as our chicharro which is a a road model Um, so this is how it comes from the factory it's actually clear coated beforehand to protect it and travel then we literally spend about two hours hand sanding it right back down to the natural carbon Um, from there it has about three to four layers of adhesion promoter which keeps the paint from flaking off because it's basically plastic then you have layers of black then layers of white and then you can start oh, your design. Wow. so the minimum let's say if you had Who a knew? red bike with white decals it's yeah. still going to be five hours work um, so what's like a start to finish kind of bike like 10 hours uh it depends we did a digital camo on a gravel bike which is on our instagram and our facebook page it's a oh instagram bike. what's yeah. your instagram uh euro sports ottawa Eurosports Ottawa Instagram, yeah. and then uh, you have well, a Facebook and we have, page? Yeah, there's a, well, there's a Eurosports Facebook page, but all the prologues have their own page, which is Prologue Bicycles. You just type it in. Oh, okay, Prologue Bicycles. It, so. so go check it out. Yeah. You can see a lot of so, the... Uh, some of this stuff is really stuff. intricate. So I think that the longest job we had was the digital camel was about 21 hours. Um, oh, wow. Between myself and, and Roxanne, which is another artist that works here, uh, usually from September to April, because she's yeah. on... Um, no, no, <laughs> she's uh, she, she, no, no, no. She's uh, she's a dietitian, so she's actually uh, working in her hometown of Amos right now. So she'll be oh. back in September, which is good. So oh, cool. Yeah. Um, All right. So, so let's actual, go look at some of the finished stuff. Working, well, this is kind okay. of working. Okay. Hold on. Uh, we'll see if we can go in deep no, in, here. in here. Um, so, as so this is the paint room. Yeah, this is something that's like a marble finish we're working on. Ooh, I like that. And there's going to be about six different layers of blues and greens in here later. So this was actually a technique I learned from um, actually uh, an old Italian guy. That's so do you a, spray everything in there? No, no, no. This oh, is just no. a drying room. Oh. So the actual spray room is in here. It's kind of creepy. Oh, it's <laughs> creepy. All the, uh, the testing is Oh, look at this. So Okay, that must be the fan. Uh, no. No, the what is that? Is, this giant unit here, but yeah. So, what is that? So basically what it does... Oh, this is, is a creepy room. Yeah, especially with the big meatloaf thing. But, uh, <laughs> but well, I spent a lot of time in here. I guess that makes me creepy too. So uh, so basically yeah. there's, you've got you know, your clear coat gun, you've got your black gun, your white gun. Then we also have like two different colored guns. So if we're doing uh, a lot of times when the frames arrive, you know, we'll get three or four at a time. And, you know, let's say if... Two of them have red on it. I'll try and make sure that I'm doing all the red sections on, on different ones to get them all done at the same time. Right. Um, this is actually part of a, an airbrush for the really fine work. Um, mm. Depending on the job, uh, I mean, there's not a lot of freehand, which is good. Um, I was never great at that, but the, the masking and things usually we can get away with kind of what they call a touch-up gun. Each one of these guns are around three to $400. Uh, 
Um, and every time we have to rebuild one, that's a couple hundred dollars to change all the pins and everything. Oh, like that. So wow. and that's usually has to be done once a year. So it's, it's a pretty big investment. Um, yeah, I guess so. So that's one in the corner you yeah, started? Yeah, this is the mountain like when we started on. So this is what we call ghosting, where basically we put the adhesion promoter on and dust it white. Um, mm -hmm. This one's actually going to be, this is for a member of the Techne cycling team. And it's going to be painted to match his jersey, which this year is all orange with kind of like these kind of ah. neat purple diamonds on it and then blue writing. So. Ooh. And so how, when do you think that one's going to be ready? Uh, probably after the weekend. It's oh, really? some of the hard jobs I do on Sundays when I know I don't have to answer the phone or check emails because it's just easy. <laughs> he doesn't to have a life. I do. Just, it's a, <laughs> you it's choose a to yeah. hang out in the room. So. In the room. Yeah, well, I mean, World Cup's on. I can listen to that in the background. Yes, so. that's true. You can yeah. bring your... Uh, oh, that bathroom is so yeah. nice. <laughs> so this is... Is this sort yeah, of... Right now, this is just uh, like storage for repairs. And just, unfortunately, the bike industry hasn't figured out how to get around cardboard boxes yet. So Well, yeah, like what... But, like, what? what's your other option? Well, we just take it to the recycling place. That's all we can do. Oh. So, um... I mean, it's again one of those things where you know we're redoing the uh, the roof and or the ceiling in this room and the other room in September. Mm -hmm. So it's just unfortunately right now we're at high time, so we can't really afford yeah. to be doing renos in the middle of peak of season. Of course not. So. This is like a winter job. Yeah. Right. When and it's by that really point quiet. you're so tired, you're kind of like. Oh. I know. You need it. When do you take a vacation? Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. Do you take a vacation? Uh, sometimes, vacation. but it's never more than a day or two. So, like, go home for Christmas or something. Um, oh my, my mom's watching, she's going to be like, well, what happened this year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been amazing, guys. So please, um, if you have questions for Mike, put it put them in the question in the comments below. If you want to give kudos, give kudos, because this is a lot of work to get started. So, you know, since 2004, you started your, mm -hmm. your business? And in this building since 08. So. Yeah, since 08. And um, so, you know what? This business isn't as easy as you think. And But Mike has been around. He's, you know, made it past the five-year mark, and he keeps on going, and he's got something really special here that, you know, please share this, this uh, video. I know it's long, but it has a lot of great content in it. And um, if you're in the cycling industry you want to know about some of this stuff. So thanks a lot, everybody. Please mark comments. Please share. And we'll see you back next week. I have no idea who we're going to have yet, <laughs> but I have a list of people who are in the works, and I will bring to you somebody special. Take care and have an amazing week. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.